Morning, everyone. Can you hear me all right? Is that a yes? Excellent. <laughs> Good. Okay, well, it's great to be with you today. Um, lots of you, you will know that I'm the youth pastor here at All Saints, so I'm mostly um, down in the centre with our young people, so it's great to be um, in here with you today. Shall we just um, pray briefly as I begin? Father God, thank you that you are here with us. You love to speak to us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We just pray, come Holy Spirit, would you um, speak into our hearts and into our lives today and help us to be open to what you have for us, Lord. Amen. Okay, well, um, I was chatting to some of our young people um, a little earlier in the week and I I asked them a question. And I want to share some of their answers with you um, to this question this morning. But maybe as I share their answers, um, you could have a little think about what your answer to this question might be. So the question was, if you were given the opportunity to have a meal with absolutely anyone um, in the world, who would that person be? So it can be someone who is alive right now. It can be someone from way back in history who is not alive right now. But it can't be just like a a member of your family. So I wonder who you would choose. I asked our young people earlier in the week, and I thought I'd share a couple of their answers. I did tell them that I would share them, just so you know. Um, So the lovely Grace Davison said that she would have dinner with Adele, the singer. And her reason was because she's gone through quite a few hardships, but still remains positive. Lots of people have been critical of her, but she still bounced back, and she shares her vulnerable moments with the world. So she thought she'd be a great person to have a meal with. Um, Another really popular choice, actually, was David Attenborough. Um, Elliot said he would have a meal with David Attenborough because I could ask him so many questions about the environment and it would be so nice, which I loved. Um, Someone else said he has a calming voice, he's pretty cool and very smart. And then the third one I wanted to share with you, a few people said this one, um, Princess Diana. I was a bit surprised, but um, someone said, I'd love to find out what happened with the royal family. Someone else said, um, because she was moral, influential, interesting, and the people's princess. And another person said, I want to know what happened to her, which I think many of us would like to know that. Now, um, the reason that I asked you to think about this this morning is because when we answer this question, we're essentially saying, I'd choose to spend time with this person because I'd love to know what it's like to be with them. And our theme for this morning is being with Jesus. And so I'd love to spend our time together today thinking about what was it or what is it actually like to be with Jesus? What was he like? What mattered to him? What can we learn from him? And there are probably so many things that could be said on this topic, but as I've studied the two passages this week, I feel like God's led me to four things um, about what it was like to be with Jesus. Um, So we're going to dive straight into them now. So number one. Being with Jesus meant spending time with someone who shattered social and cultural boundaries. By allowing Mary to sit at his feet and learn from him, Jesus was shattering social and cultural boundaries. But in order to be able to kind of understand the enormity of what was happening here, we need to look a little bit into what the role of women was in first century Jerusalem. So, women at this point in time in this culture were seen as little more than servants. Men and women's roles were distinctly separate. It was the duty of a woman at this time to serve, to host, to cook, to work in the home, to look after the children. 
In that culture, homes had separate spaces for men and women. Um, women's rooms were at the back of the house. In public, women had to veil themselves so that nobody could recognize their face. Women had to obey their husbands. They were the property of their husbands. Husbands could divorce their wives, but wives could not divorce their husbands. Life for women in this culture was so difficult that lots of Jewish men would pray every morning, God, I thank you that I'm not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Women were not allowed to speak in public. They were not allowed to be educated, and no rabbi would have ever had a woman um, in his group of disciples. And so, with all of that in mind, what we've heard today was that Martha has opened her home to Jesus. And Martha's really upset. She's upset with her sister Mary, um, because while Martha's running around doing all of the jobs and stressing about what needs to be done, Mary is simply sitting at the feet of Jesus. And I think that it's really easy to read into this, that Martha's just upset with her sister because she's not helping her out. But there is actually more to it than that. Tom Wright says that the real problem between Martha and Mary wasn't the workload in the kitchen. That was part of the problem. Um, But that wasn't the main thing that was upsetting Martha. The real problem was that Mary was behaving as if she were a man. As you can imagine, that was intensely controversial. Um, In fact, as I was kind of researching this passage as I was preparing for the talk, there were multiple times when it was described as an incident... And I thought, I've never thought of this kind of famous passage of Mary and Martha before as an incident, and it really made me think. But when we take the role of women in society into account, we realise that this was a, <clears throat> a really big deal. Sitting at, the te- of a, sorry, sitting at the feet of a teacher or a rabbi was very much a male role. Um, so on the screen now, you can see a picture of my dog. This is Ruby. And for a lot of people, when they hear the words sitting at someone's feet, the images that come straight to mind is that of like a dog sitting at its master's feet, kind of gazing up adoringly at its human being. Um, very much like she's obviously doing here. Um, but this is very much not what was happening here with Mary and Jesus. Um, when Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, she is not just looking up adoringly at him. She isn't even just listening and learning. She was focusing on the teaching of Jesus. She's putting it together um, in her mind. To sit at someone's feet meant to be their student. Mary, a woman, is being educated by Jesus. And even more controversially, to sit at the feet of a rabbi was what you did if you wanted to be a rabbi yourself. Mary is not just learning for learning's sake. She's not just learning because she's fascinated by what he's saying. In Tom Wright's words, Mary has quietly taken her place as a would-be teacher and preacher in the kingdom of God, and Jesus affirms her right to do so. He affirms her right to do so. In this moment, Jesus and Mary are shattering cultural boundaries. This, for Jesus, is about value. It's it's about placing value into one of the very least of society. It's about letting his love overflow into a life which society has shown little or no love to. It's an affirmation from Jesus that he expects Mary to sit and to listen carefully to his message about the kingdom of God so that she can then go and speak of it too. This is a boundary-breaking call of Jesus on Mary's life. So all of this got me thinking, what boundaries 
are in place in our society today. Jesus demonstrated his love for the least, the last, and the lost of society again and again and again. Who are the least, the last, and the lost of our society? Who are the ones that society pushes to the bottom? Who are the ones that our society places little value on? Who are the limited ones, the restricted ones? You know, the word Christian literally means little Christ or little anointed one. And as Christians, we're called to be like that. We're called to be little mini versions of Jesus, the best we can, obviously, um, and to go out into the world and to be an example of who he is. So how can we, each of us in here today and online, how can we follow his boundary-shattering example? And I just feel like, just Lord, like, please we put ideas of what that looks like in people's minds right now. Just give us visions of what that might look like. So that's our first point. Second point is being with Jesus meant being in the presence of someone who flips the ways of the world upside down. So we've already heard that Martha's opened her home to Jesus. Um, she's running around doing all of the jobs. Um, she's pretty stressed about it. I don't know about you. I actually feel a bit sorry for Martha. Um, I think she's trying her best to be a good host for Jesus. She's probably um, like serving him. She's preparing food. She's making sure the place is clean and tidy. Trying her best to make sure it's a nice environment for him to be in. I reckon all of that was with good intentions so that she could give her best to Jesus. Yet, the Bible says that Martha was distracted. That word really stood out to me as I read it. In the message version, it says Martha was pulled away by all she had to do in the kitchen, pulled away. Martha says to Jesus, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me with all the work to do by myself? Tell her to help me. Something I realised this week was that if Martha was close enough to Jesus to hear, um, sorry, if she was close enough to Jesus to ask him a question, then she was close enough to hear the life-giving words that he was speaking to Mary. But there's this sense when we read it, in which his words were sort of just background noise to her. They're kind of like taking a back seat um, to the tasks and the preparations of the moment. It's as if Martha's really striving to please Jesus, but she's not hearing his voice. It's as if somehow she believes that her hard work and her accomplishments are what is going to please him. And that's what Jesus turns upside down. Jesus replies to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but few are needed, indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Now, I think it's important to think just for a moment what's not being said here. Jesus is not saying that serving is unimportant. That actually wouldn't make sense at all, given that this, this passage is placed right after the parable of the Good Samaritan, where I think it's fair to say that serving um, is certainly encouraged. But what Jesus is saying is that there's something more important, and that is sitting at his feet. It's being in his presence. It's hearing his voice. It's letting him speak into our lives. And actually, our ability to serve others stems from our time at his feet. I read somewhere this week that Jesus' way was not about achievement, but commitment. Not activities, but attitudes. Not quantity, but quality. The world tells us we need to be busy, we need to achieve, we need that promotion. It tells us that activity and achievement are what give us our value. Jesus tells us the opposite. I wonder how many of you can relate to these statements that are on the screen. God is pleased with me when I do things for him, when I do a lot for him. 
I'm not sure if it's ever possible to please God. I don't know if I'm ever going to be enough while I ever achieve that. I'm spending lots of time doing things for Jesus, but not a lot of time being with Jesus. I won't be saved unless I do X, Y, Z. I'm sure some things might pop into your mind. If you can relate to any of these, here's the good news. You are valued not for what you do or how well you do it, but you are valued simply for who you are as a child of God. He loves you because he loves you, um, and nothing is going to change that. It's so easy for us to measure our worth by our busyness, our achievements, our own expectations, but that's not where Jesus finds our worth. And the reality is that the best way for us to grasp our worth in him and his unconditional love is to spend time sitting at his feet. Martha's distractions and worries, whilst I think with the best of intentions, actually left no room for the most important act of hospitality, attention to the guest in her home. What would it look like for you to open up your life to Jesus today? Mary understood what was best. Every time we encounter Mary in the Gospels, she's at the feet of Jesus. How could you prioritise sitting at his feet, the most important thing? The third thing that I learned is that being with Jesus means spending time with the one who can transform a situation in an instant. Um, I don't know if anyone's with me here, but I have kind of grown to love home renovation programs. Um, And I think my favorite part of the show, or these shows, is when they do like the big transformation scenes. So they show you like like a before picture or video of like a really messy looking room. And then they do like this fuzzy transition into a sparkling brand new beautiful room or space that they've transformed. Um, So that's an example of one which I think they've done a pretty good job on. Um, In a sort of similar way, Jesus is very much in the business of transformation. So we're going to flip to our passage in John now. And we find ourselves again with Mary and Martha. They're Jesus' besties. um, So he's returned to their home. So we're in the same location here, and interestingly, we find Martha serving again. This time, though, um, their brother, Lazarus, is there. And another incident is about to happen, but we're going to come to that incident um, in a moment. But for a second, I just want us to think about the significance of Lazarus being present at this meal. Um, Because, to be very honest, in the previous chapter, Lazarus was dead. Um, And like I mean, like he's really dead. (laughs) Um, His sisters, like we can read of it, his sisters Martha and Mary are like mourning for him. They're grieving because he's died. Lazarus has been placed in a tomb with a stone rolled across the entrance and he's been in there for four days, four entire days. When Jesus comes along, he calls into the tomb, Lazarus come out and Lazarus walks right out of there. Like he's even wrapped as dead people would be um, with strips of linen around his feet and his hands and cloth around his face. And then we reach our passage today, and they're all sitting having a meal together. Being with Jesus means spending time with the one who has the power to transform a situation. Only a few days earlier, they were greeted with the stench of dead Lazarus in the tomb. And now they're seated at the table all together. Lazarus is there, and the room is filled with the beautiful smell of Mary's perfume. That is a massive transformation. This theme of God being a God of transformation is consistent throughout the entirety of the Bible. But it isn't just something for biblical times. God is a God of transformation here today in 2022. 
Um, in preparation for this talk, I kind of found myself flicking through my prayer journal, which, I mean, I probably didn't need to bring this to show you, it's just a notebook, but there we go. Um, this is my prayer journal, I actually just finished it this week, and I was just reading over like, some of the prayers that I've been praying over the past months, and just to kind of find out like, what has been like, what has God been doing? What has he been changing? And a lot of these prayers that I've prayed, I've been praying alongside lots of other people. Um, but I prayed for things like young people who were struggling with friendships and heard that, like, things had got better. I prayed for myself multiple times, but I can think of a time when I felt ill and then the next day I was completely fine. Um, I prayed for young people who've been ill without explanation and who have found, they found the cause prayed for people along with lots of others in here like who've been taken to hospital and like very worried only to be told that everything's fine. I even prayed for um, <laughs> a really nice place to take my dad for Father's Day because I'd left it a bit late and I look back on that time that we had together and we had the best time like that prayer was answered. I prayed for people who um, had blood tests and they came back clear like there's all sorts of things and honestly so much of the time I think to myself I don't even know if I can think of an answered prayer but because I've written them down I was able to look back over this and think you know God is changing things he is a God of transformation and sometimes we need to write them down to help us remember because I know I'm I have a bad memory when it comes to that sort of thing now, I do feel like I should mention at this point that there's still plenty of prayers in that journal that haven't been answered um, and I'm sure that within this room, there are lots of people who can relate to that. There's still things that we've been praying for for a long time where we still feel like we need to see that transformation. And as Christians, we sort of live, I guess, in the tension of that, don't we? We live with that tension. And it's important for us to trust that God is 100% for us in it all. He wants the very best for us. And he promises that there will be a day when he'll make everything right. There'll be a day when he transforms the entire world. He will make sure there is no more mourning or weeping or pain at that point. But for now, we have to acknowledge that while God's kingdom is here, it hasn't fully arrived yet. So there will be times when darkness and pain and evil are present, um, but he promises to walk with us in those times, and he can make good out of those times. And there will be times when we do see huge transformation and real answers to prayer, and we kind of live with that tension but my question, I guess, for us today is, where do we need to see the transformative power of Jesus in our lives? What are the dead situations where we long to see Jesus bring life? And we can bring those things to Jesus when we um, pray together in a moment. The fourth and final thing that I wanted to bring out of our passages this morning is that being with Jesus will lead us to act in a way that people around us may not understand and they may question. And so this is where we reach the other incident um, in today's passages. So we already talked about one controversial incident where Mary, a woman, was sat at the feet of Jesus. And Mary, as it happens, is at the centre of our next incident or controversial moment. This is what the passage says. Then Mary took about half a litre of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. I wonder if anyone here is a perfume fan. You may not be, but I'm sure there will be some people. Um, I definitely am. You see, I think that smell is a really powerful sense. Um, sometimes, like specific smells can take us back to uh, a place or a moment in time or remind us of a person that's really special to us. Um, and so, because of this, a couple of years ago, I decided that whenever possible, 
I would like to buy perfume when we go away. Now, it's not always possible, and it doesn't, it doesn't have to be expensive by any stretch of the imagination. But the idea is that if I buy perfume when we go away and start wearing it, when I get home and wear it, it's going to remind me of the lovely time that we had on holiday. So this one here... It's actually empty, but um, it's refillable, that's why I've still got it. This one here I bought in Barcelona, and um, I love it. Like, it's really special to me, it brings back special memories. But this is, like, nothing in comparison to Mary's perfume. The perfume that Mary poured over Jesus was worth a year's wages. Can you even imagine a bottle of perfume that was worth a year's wages? It had great value. It was likely also a family heirloom, so it had like different value too. In commentaries, this act of like pouring out her perfume over Jesus is described as an outrageous gesture. And the act of letting her hair down was even more daring. Like respectable women would literally never have done that in public. And note at this point that even Jesus' disciples, and these were the ones who probably meant to understand. Even the disciples were kind of shocked and did not understand what was happening here. Yet, Jesus affirms Mary's actions again. See, this was Mary's act of worship for Jesus. It was her act of wholehearted adoration. It was her holding nothing back. I kind of have wondered this week if she cared what the people around her thought in this situation. I think she probably did, because most people care what the people around us think. But I reckon that she had the boldness to do it anyway, because Jesus' opinion mattered more to her than the opinion of anyone else. She was happy to make a fool of herself, because it was worth it to her to show Jesus how much she loved him. And the extreme value of the perfume that she was willing to pour over him shows that nothing was more important to her than Jesus, not even wealth or riches of the world. This, however, it wasn't just an act of devotion to Jesus. Jesus goes on to um, describe this thing, this kind of incident, um, as a prophetic statement. She had understood the significance of what was about to happen to him. Um, in this culture, nard was used to... Um, to, for anointing the dead for burial and also anointing priests and kings. And so by pouring out the perfume onto Jesus, she was kind of acknowledging his imminent death on the cross and also his status as king. And let's not forget that less than a week later, Jesus would be crucified. So all of that got me thinking about what are the types of things we might end up doing um, for Jesus that the people around us <clears throat> excuse me, may not quite understand. Some things that kind of came to mind for me were maybe we'll take a job with a much lower salary because we feel called to do so. Some people will be like, what are you doing? Um, maybe we'd step out and share a word with someone or offer to pray for someone that we've never met before. It might mean giving our money or our time sacrificially to the church because we want to help build the kingdom of God. It might mean standing up for what we believe, for what is right or biblical, it might be as simple as paying for someone's coffee who's behind us in the queue. Or it might be as huge as going to a really dangerous area of the world and giving out Bibles or sharing our faith with people there. There really are so many things that this could look like. But maybe you could start to ask yourself this question today. What do I feel led to do that will show Jesus just how much I love him? What does wholehearted adoration of Jesus look like for you, holding nothing back? Let's remember 
that Mary's costly act of worship had an impact on all the people around her. The smell of the perfume filled the room. They could all smell it. And as we wholeheartedly worship Jesus, it too will have an effect on all the people around us. So, we're about to come to a close this morning. And as we do so, let's remember that being with Jesus means spending time with someone who shatters cultural and social boundaries. It means being in the presence of the one who flips the ways of the world upside down. It means being with the one who can transform a situation in an instant. And it will also lead us to act in ways that people around us may just not understand. So let's go into this week and prioritise sitting at his feet. And it's from that place that we too will be able to demonstrate his overflowing love to the least, the last and the lost of society. And it's at his feet that we grasp the fact that we're loved not for what we accomplish, but for who we are as a child of God. And it's at his feet that we witness his transformative power in our lives. And finally, it's at his feet that our love for him grows so much that we want to show him, we want to express our wholehearted devotion to him, holding nothing back. So I'm going to hand over to Sandra and we're going to respond in prayer.